that night the city burnt, and the mother church of the city burnt with her. And yet the tower and the spire still stand, soaring to the sky, and I feel that's an emblem of the eternal majesty and love of God. Greetings. You are tuned into the Miserable Offenders podcast. Pull up a chair and join the conversation as we seek answers to life's big questions, drawing wisdom from the well of traditional Anglican theology. This is a production of the North American Anglican. Hello there, this is Canon Andrew Brazier. And this is Venerable Isaac Rayberg. Welcome to the Miserable Offenders Podcast. It's good to have you all with us today. How are you doing, Andrew? Hey, doing good. How about yourself, Isaac? Oh, I can't complain, man. I can't complain. It's a rainy day here in Texas, and we need the rain. Oh, I I know how that is, sir. We are uh, having a lovely spring day. It's actually uh, cool, I dare say chilly, for uh, the great state of Alabama. It's in the Mm. 60s. I walked outside uh, this morning, and uh, on the day that we're recording is when we have our men's fellowship breakfast, so... Went out early this morning to go meet with our guys at our parish, and I was just wearing my shorts because yesterday it was like 85 degrees, humidity made it feel like 90 degrees, and uh, it was like maybe just above 50 when I went outside. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I'm underdressed, but uh, it'll get warm, surely, and by the time I left, and now it's about you know past midday, it's not you know eked by 60 degrees, so <laughs> nothing like a 25 degree shift to really wake you up. It's the kind of day that makes you appreciate a cassock. Exactly. There you go. There you go. So should have had mine on instead of walking in my, my shorts. So <laughs> <laughs> well, that's too good. Well, we've been, you know, picking up and uh and obviously doing a lot more regular episodes if you're listening to this as we drop these episodes. So hopefully uh everyone's been appreciating that. Um and not having to wait, oh I don't know, six months for us to actually <laughs> get around to do something. <laughs> But uh, we've been going through, if you haven't been listening in and you just kind of dropped in on this episode, uh, we've been doing Peter Tunes, uh, Knowing God Through the Liturgy. And if you're picking up on this, we're on Chapter 3, What Knowing Is, and had a real good discussion, or at least I thought it was. I thought we had a great uh, time last um, last week or two weeks ago, whenever we recorded. But we're, we're yeah. picking up now on uh, a section called God and Self, and we really kind of walked our way through uh, talking about what it is to have a covenant with God. I've uh, appreciated Dr. Toon's uh, ability to not only show the differences between prayer books for the time of this publication, the 1928 American, 1962 Canadian, with the 1979 um, uh, Episcopal Book of Common Prayer, but really kind of highlight the differences in the theology based upon uh, the prayer book offices. I'm curious what you've thought about it so far there uh canonizing yeah no it's been it's been a good discussion um you know these are kind of the wheelhouse that i i tend to travel in um you know with a lot of my own personal studies so it's good to hear his thoughts um nothing has been a complete surprise so far but it's but he a good resource for them uh tune was the the founder of the prayer book society uh usa and there's a good reason for that. Um, you know, this is the kind of stuff that he's yeah. done. Yeah, that's a great uh, a little piece of trivia there, um, because that's something that I confess that 
I knew at one point and had forgotten that he created the American uh, chapter. Well, I guess it's not a chapter technically, but but the American branch, the American organization of the uh, the Prairie Society. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if I'm still. I need to check to see if my dues are current, but I've I've been a member on and off for the last ten years or so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A great organization. And uh, if uh, uh, Father uh, Dunbar uh, is listening uh, from Savannah, he may uh, <laughs> he'll probably hit me up too because I can. I'll openly confess I've never been an official member. I, I support them for what they do, but I need to uh, to pony up some funds over there. So he'll hit me up as well. <laughs> Always well, good we'll go stuff. Ahead. Always good stuff indeed. Well, we'll go ahead and, and dive on in. Uh, on God and self, we've just got two small sections here before we wrap up just this chapter, and we'll begin next episode with chapter five, baptism and confirmation. So I'll go ahead and take uh, the first uh, paragraph here on God and self. Archbishop Cramner and those who assisted him in the composition of the first books of common prayer in the 16th century were greatly influenced by the letter to the Romans. Traces of his teaching can he excuse me, traces of his teaching can be found at many points, not least in the service of Holy Communion. Another theme which is found in common prayer is the ancient Christian wisdom that all Christian holiness is contained in two things, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self. Often, Augustine of Hippo, whose confession is a true classic and whose writings have always been prized by Anglicans, exclaimed, Lord, that I may know thee and that I may know myself. To claim that this prayer is a summary of the common prayer tradition of piety and devotion would not be an excessive claim. I think that is generally true. So what do you think uh, in terms of that analysis of, of going to uh, Augustine and, uh, and also referencing the, the influence of the letter to the Romans? I have to agree on both there. Yeah, I mean, me too. I mean, it's, I think it's pretty certain that um, for all of, all of the uh, major reform movements going on in the 16th century, um, both Augustine's theology and the Romans were very important. I mean, that's kind of the framework for, for Western theology, especially coming from that period. Um, you know, that's, that's why, you know, both of those are reasons why that model of, of, of the atonement we primarily find in the, in the classical uh, prayer books is the penal substitutionary model. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, think, I think that's a good thing. I mean, I think there's good reasons for that. Absolutely. And that's a great point in terms of like the reformational movements in general. And uh, I guess to be clear, like the magisterial reformational movements, uh, specifically having right. that anchor on uh, Augustine. And, you know, I forgot who it was. Who said this, but uh, a year or two ago, I was reading uh, a book and someone had this great little saying of all of, of Western theology is really a footnote to Augustine. I don't know if you yeah. happen to know who said that, but when I first encountered that, I was like, that, that's such a, a great way of describing how imposing Augustine is on, uh, on all of Western theology. Yeah, I've I've seen that quote too, and I, I confess I don't remember either. But but yeah, I, th- I think it's very true. Um, yeah, and I, I know I know for me, mo- most of my it's it's hard. It's kind of a, a tie between who gets the most quotations in my in my preaching, Augustine or or uh, Chrysostom. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, 
I have to say that Chrysostom is, is very high up there for myself as well. Uh, and as of late, uh, Bishop uh, J.C. Rall, I've really uh, benefited from his uh, expository um, commentary on the uh, gospel, expository thoughts, excuse me, of the uh, gospels as I look over my shoulder at the actual title of that work, uh, which I commend to anyone. He does a great job of diving into the fathers uh, here and there, uh, depending upon the passage of scripture that he's uh, giving his own commentary on. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. I, I don't have that one. And um, yeah, I, I confess, I haven't read a ton of Ryle, um, you know, beyond kind of his quote minding <laughs> against yeah. Anglo Catholics, which I'm not always a fan of. Yeah. I'm not always a fan of that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And see, and I, I'm not either. And that's, what's interesting. I know that some people who probably like listen to the podcast will may think of me as like a, a snake belly low uh, churchman. I don't think all people do, but some people probably do. But uh, in reality, I had not read Ryle because of some of the quotes that he has against Anglo Catholics. Um, and then when I actually picked up some of his works, especially the expository uh, thoughts in the gospel, they're fantastic uh, so far as far as I've, I've used them and, and uh, worked through them. And uh, we actually used at this men's fellowship I was telling you about at the beginning of the episode. We're working through his book, uh, Holiness on a Sanctification. And you read him and two things that I'll uh, say, I've completely digressed from Dr. Toon's work that everyone's here to listen <laughs> to, but one thing that's amazing is that when you read that book and all of us who are in that fellowship are like, it's as though he wrote it, you know, just yesterday in terms of the mm. disastrous state of affairs of the church, in terms of the church uh, not being, uh, and I say the church meaning that the people of God not being uh, dedicated to the scriptures and not being dedicated to a life of sanctification. And when you read his work on that, it's fascinating. I'm like, you would never have guessed that he was a Calvinist from reading this work that he's really hitting home the fact that uh, your faith cannot be a faith that's just simply a, I believe that Jesus died for me, you know, and mm -hmm. not a transformational faith. Uh, very much as you're hearing and reading his work, uh, and at least in holiness, it's really bringing home and bringing home the, uh, the letter uh, of St. James in terms of, you know, even the demons believe and tremble. Uh, but talking about where's your, your, your works to show that you have a true believing faith, which echoes, quite frankly, the book of homilies um, written by several reformational Anglicans. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I, th and I think that's, that's a good thing about e even among, you know, the, the, the very, very, very reformed um, branch of, of our tradition is that, that Anglicans do historically put a, put a pretty high premium on personal holiness, on the holiness of the church. Yep. And we tend to get pretty grumpy when it's not there, um, <laughs> <laughs> which, which is as it should be. I mean, that, that, that should be a constant call. Well, I'll go ahead and continue on and pick up the next paragraph here. Right the on. knowledge of God elevates the Christian believer while knowledge of self keeps him humble. Knowing God is that ascent wherein the believer contemplates the divine perfections and glory, while knowing self is that descent which makes him see his own nothingness and sinfulness. The knowledge of God which raises the believer up to God also simultaneously humbles him by the comparison of himself with God as he is revealed in Jesus. Further, genuine self-knowledge, though it humbles the believer, also lifts him up, humbling him, is to cause pride. And to humble him without exalting him is to bring misery without hope. 
Thus, to complain, as do some modern teachers of the liturgy, that the common prayer tradition is preoccupied with the concerns of guilt, sin, and justification, is to go against the wisdom of Scripture and tradition. Unless worshipers see their sin, guilt, and hopelessness, how can they see that in Jesus Christ alone is salvation? I, I think your copy skipped a couple lines <laughs> in the middle there, unfortunately. <laughs> that was um, probably me then. Uh, oh. <laughs> I probably jumped down. Uh. <laughs> yeah, so, so um, yeah, the, the, the sentence that starts uh, further genuine self-knowledge, though it humbles the believer, and this is so key, he says, also lifts him up through the necessity of approaching God to find comfort, forgiveness, and solace through Jesus Christ. The true elevation of man is inseparable from his true humiliation, which is made crystal clear in the Anglican common prayer tradition. To elevate man without humbling him is to cause pride. And then it continues on from there. Yep. Um, and I now see what happened. I hit page down and it just oh, cut no. off that text. So. <laughs> this is what happens when you read from a computer instead of reading from written word. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 I, and I want the only reason why I brought that up is not not to be uh, not to be pedantic or anything, but because that's such a that's such a huge concept. Yeah. Um, that does get missed so often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was listening to an old White Horse in episode where Michael Horton was interviewing, um, I think the, the dude from the crystal cathedral, crystal cathedral back in the day. Yeah. And, um, Oh, what is that guy's name? Um, is that James Kennedy or am I making that? Up? No, 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 no. It's, right. um, no, Ken- Kennedy was, was a lot more solid. It was, um, Schuler maybe, but James. at any rate, yeah. You know, Horton asked him about, um, preaching this very thing, you know, the, 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 the the true sinfulness of man and how in contrast with the goodness of God and whoever, whoever that is, you know, he kind of said, Oh, I, I hope you're not preaching to your people that way because don't, you know, so many people in our pews are hurting and that's just going to damage them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's incredible to, to say that, you know, instead of bringing the reality of, of where we are as human beings. Oh yeah. Crystal cathedral. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. My mind completely slipped. You're absolutely right. It's Schuler is who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and, and we see, we see the same kind of thing continuing today kind of in the televangelist world. Yes. Um, but, but we also see that sometimes among, um, you know, just, just ordinary parishes, not to the extent that Schuler was saying in that interview, but this this fear of penitential liturgy, this fear of yeah. our, our our heritage, frankly, the fear of penal substitutionary atonement, things yeah. like that. Um, and, and it's not that the other models are are wrong. I'm I'm not one of these guys who thinks that the gospel is PSA. Otherwise, it's not the gospel, not at all. Yeah, it yeah. is multifaceted, mm-hmm. but. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's wisdom in what's going on in the prayer book. Um, as long as we are keeping the full picture, because the other side of that coin, of course, is we're going to beat up people over performance and never bring them to God. Yeah. Um, and let's not do that either. So, mm-hmm. and that's the delicate aspect in terms of, of, preaching your your doctrines and keeping it clear in terms of justification and sanctification and and making sure number one that you don't emphasize one without the other because you can emphasize right. one 
and you know uh, end up you know going off the wrong path, especially in terms of steering uh, the flock of God by overemphasizing well not overemphasizing but but only emphasizing one aspect of, of a doctrine and then not giving a complete picture of what is the Christian life, of how do you come to Christ, you know, through faith alone, grace alone, you know, by, by having Christ's blood alone, you know, covering you. And then that sanctification of, like, now we are called to walk in this new life, and the cost mm-hmm. of discipleship is so costly. Uh, this is something I'm, I'm now stealing straight from Ryle's book on holiness. He talks about you need mm. to count the cost. So many people fall away. And he points back to the parable of the sower, and he's like, this shouldn't be a surprise. And the problem is people do not count the cost that Christ warns us of. Pick up your cross. Not that you're going to save yourself, but that's the cost of being a, a true disciple of Christ. And Christ warning that if you don't hate your, your father, your mother, you know, your, your sibling, you know, your, your, your own children, you know, and love me greater, then don't count yourself a disciple. And um, th- this is a hard saying, you know, but it's what our savior has given us. And so knowing ourself is, is going to require being honest to ourselves and being honest to ourselves by looking at what's revealed in scripture as to how great uh, a sinner we are. Even if we don't feel like that we're such great sinners, that's the reality that we find ourselves in when you're, you know, opening yourself up to the revelation of a holy and divine God. Um, who's just incomprehensible and yet has revealed himself to us. And this is an area where, where our Lutheran friends can really be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of the, the Lutheran distinctive for looking at scripture is um, that hermeneutic of law and gospel. Yes. You know, what, yeah. what, what it, you know, the, the law being um, the thing that, that tells us what to do um, in all three of its uses, not just to, to convict us of sin, but also to show us how to live as Christians. Yes. Um, and to kind of, kind of govern society in general. Um, you know, what are we supposed to do with the law than the gospel? What has been done for us? And, um, and it's not always super clear in every passage, but, but that's very helpful. Um, and and I, I know I've, I've found that to be probably the, the best thing that's helped my preaching grow is making sure that both of those things are, are, are present and I remember hearing a Lutheran pastor one time say something to the effect of he could imagine the occasional time when he would need to preach um, and not include the law, mm-hmm. but he could not imagine a time when he would preach and not include the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. But, but almost every time he would need to include both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well said. All right. Well, should I pick up with this next paragraph here? Sounds good. All right. Uh, in, in my copy, it's the bottom of page 17. To know self is as necessary for holiness as is the knowing of God. To know self is to treat the self justly, for to know ourselves as we really are is to see ourselves as God sees us. God himself sees us. Consider the question, who am I? I am nothing in and, and of myself, for from all eternity I was not, and there was no reason why I should exist or be what I am. My existence is the effect of God's will alone, not mine or anyone else's. Were God to withdraw his powerful, sustaining word and power, my being would cease to be. All I am and can be comes from God and is dependent upon him, and thus there is nothing in myself to love. In fact, since I have sinned against my creator, 
I justly deserve his punishment. I have offended and continue to offend the Lord my God. I have become his enemy and I transgress his law. I fail in essential duties to him and my fellow creatures, for in me the tendency to sin has become a fixed habit and a strong inclination. Further, I cannot help myself out of this mess. God himself must lift me up if I am to be raised. Now, I, I think I could hear, I mean, I, I can hear some actual individuals' voices objecting <laughs> to some <Yeah>. of this. <laughs> um, and, you know, and the chief, the chief objection would be, well, what, what about the fact that we're created in the image of God? Mm-hmm. And doesn't that give us an inherent, um, a certain inherent goodness, a certain inherent dignity, a certain inherent honor? Which I would say, yes. But the key to that is, is where he said, um, I am nothing in and of myself. Yes, yes. I mean, because e- even that dignity and that goodness is because of bearing God's image, not, not inherent in just being. Yes, yes. I think that's something that's important to note. And we really have to, to flesh out and explain, especially today. And especially when you come to someone who is a, a non-believer or even, you know, might have formerly been part of a Christian church, uh, is now de-churched or unchurched, whatever the, the current trendy term is for that, but essentially is no longer within the faith. And they think, I mean, I'm good, you know, like, I don't think I'm too bad of a person. So, uh, you know, why do you say that, that I'm so off and I'm so, you know, like, you know, sinful and guilty and, and why should I be considered hopeless, you know, but the reality of the matter that we have to, to bring to people is the fact that that standard of perfection, that standard of holiness, we fall far short of that standard. And our hearts are just above all so very deceitful. And actually, I'll just look down and he's going to quote that from Jeremiah or reference it from mm-hmm. Jeremiah in just the next paragraph there. It's just something that... Um, that I continually remind myself in terms of, of just thinking about the way that we act, even when we think that we're better than what we once were, you constantly find yourself in this war, or at least we should be finding ourselves in this war and struggle of, it's so easy to default to, I just want to do what I want to do. And that's where uh, the problem lies in terms of, of ourselves. We, I mean, the way the Lord summarizes the law, you know, love the Lord thy God, you know, with all thy uh, heart, all thy mind, all thy soul, and all thy strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself. It's loving to others, and all we want to do is love ourselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And well, I'm sure we'll talk about this when we get to the next next paragraph. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, kind of the, the the follow your heart mantra of so <laughs> yeah. much of popular culture is absolute poison. Yeah, and yeah. you know my my little girls love their Disney princesses and all that stuff, but um, you know <laughs> there's a certain amount of deprogramming that has to happen. Yeah, <laughs> with, with yeah. that as well. <laughs> so, all right, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep going here. Then a significant statement is left out of the general confession and morning prayer, right? One of the 1979 Book of Common Prayer. On, the, on first sight, the confession from BCP 1928 and 1979 appear to be the same, but the, uh, but the reality of original sin or the diseased, deceitful heart, Jeremiah 17, 9, Mark 7, 18 through 23, 
is missing from the latter. There is no health in us is profoundly true and is wholly recognized by those tutored by Holy Scripture who see themselves as God sees and knows them. That was one of the debated clauses when when the 2019 was being done. Yep, yep. And, uh, and I forgot who oh, did ahead. an article for North American Anglican, but someone did a good article on why it should have been included as is without a, a modifier. Because I think you're getting ready to get to it, but there was a, a modification there on that yep. phrase. There is no health in us is in that 2019 prayer book, but uh, but it's been modified a bit. Yeah, it's it's uh it's been modified to say and and apart from your grace, there is no health in us. Mm-hmm. Um, which which is a better way of kind of addressing the squeamishness than the seventy nine did, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but um. A, it's a little clunky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and B, I, th- I think there's a certain redundancy there mm-hmm. in, in that the very fact we're coming to absolution. What do we say in the absolution? Um, you know, al- 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 Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who desireth not the not death the de- of the sinner. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of, all of this stuff is, it's there. It's obvious. We don't need to be squeamish about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then of course there's the omission of miserable offender, um, which, which our podcast and those of us at TNAA are, are all pretty much against that omission. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure we named our podcast before that, that happened. I could be wrong with that. We, we did. It was, it was still up in the air at the time. Yeah. Yeah, Cause someone has asked, like, did y'all do that because of it? And I was like, I know that like, you know, I definitely didn't have that in my mind, but I was like, I can't, quite remember the timing of when we started this versus when they made that decision i just remember seeing it and then saying like y'all need to add this back um and interestingly enough the traditional language version of the 2019 which is in a uh a trial run for lack of a better term is in a beta version uh they've added back uh, miserable offenders on there so um They've heard that, that will be the yeah that will be the main version of the 2019 that's sitting on my shelf for yeah. kind of supplementary use. Um, I mean, right now I, I do have the 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 standard one, the one the one we got at assembly in 2019. Yeah, um, it's uh, the commemorative edition because we got that nifty little sticker. When they did that, I was like, it's not a commemorative edition. It's just a sticker, you know? <laughs> it's a commemorative sticker. <laughs> um, I mean, look, don't get me yes. wrong. I appreciate like, getting the prayer book as part of, of being yeah. an attendee, but it did totally. make me chuckle about like, oh, so this was yeah. the commemorative edition. But uh, yeah, it, my feeling is that there were bigger plans, but um, the logistics kind of got away. I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think when we were when we were planning the podcast back back originally, um, and, and I had been thinking about something along these lines before. Uh, I think Jesse originally brought it up, mm-hmm. um, and then then you and I kind of stepped forward and said, "Yeah, we'll do that with you." Um, but you know, the, I was thinking of of something like comfortable words. And I don't remember whether it was he or you was thinking miserable offenders. I was like, oh, miserable offenders. That's so much. Yeah. That's so much cooler. I and it was, it was probably good. It was probably not me. It was probably Jesse. So I know it wasn't me. Yeah. I mean, I, cause I, I remember, I remember thinking to myself comfortable words, mm-hmm. but really like really, really liking miserable offenders. And I think it, we had decided on that probably 
a good six months before we started recording. And we definitely were recording while the trials were at the very, very, very early stages. Yeah, yeah. That, that was my memory as well. I remember those trials came out and all of us in uh, the Anglican world started having discussions on what was included, what was taken out, you know, and, and kind of going back and forth on that. So, so anyway, if everyone was wondering, like, it was just kind of a, you know, reaction. No, it wasn't a reaction. We, we'd already chosen the name on that, and it just kind of <laughs> fell into place where, oh, 2019 doesn't have it, but the, uh, but the traditional language is going to have it. So I'm glad to see that restoration. Yeah. And so, and kind of, kind of along that, um, I've been listening to to a couple different folks kind of review Carl Truman's new book, which, oh, for the life of me, I can't remember what it's called, but he's talking yeah, about told you, but yeah, yeah, and he's he, but in in it, and I need to get this. I I'm I'm a big Truman fan. I I think he's he's one yeah. of the best. And I don't know why the heck he's not an Anglican. Same here. He's such a good. <laughs> Good patristic scholar. I mean, come on, man. But um, <laughs> but he, he he talks about how right. You know, we've moved into a phase of um, kind of our, our development of our culture and society where where we are really the therapeutic man. I mean, yeah. that's kind of the main thing that that defines us is is therapeutic, and so we want God to be more therapeutic than anything else. We want our interactions with each other to be therapeutic. Shoot. We even expect the government to be therapeutic in mm -hmm. some ways. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what's led really to the squeamishness around these kinds of phrasing uh, is, is, is that it's not, it's not the touchy feely kind of therapy we, we really want in our culture. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think it shocks the conscience of today's culture because it just gives you uh, the reality. It just gives you the facts straight up. And a yep. lot of our culture, ours being obviously, you know, in the United States, but typically Western culture in general is, is a little bit of escapism and trying to make our own new reality, our own, you know, alternate reality and our own, you know, whatever it takes to make us happy, you know, whatever that is. And I think that's mm -hmm. kind of bled over into this is not an attack at just Anglicans, but across the board, like Western Christianity, uh, especially in the States, we've really tried to make it about, you know, self and appeal to self. And we used a lot of sales gimmicks and sales pitches to try to bring people into the pews. And um, it, it's, it's not a shame. It's not a lamenting, you know, of the, the old traditional ways. It's not good because then you're, you're hiding the truth of you know what is the christian way the christian walk the gospel is so simple pure and straightforward and it's good news but it's good news from something that was bad and we need to be honest with people that you know until you experience the repentance and the renewal of the life of the holy spirit because you're turning away from your old life you're turning away from sin you're caught in your trespasses you're dead in your trespasses. I mean, that's how St. Paul says it. It's not my wording. It's, it's Paul's wording, which he's being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write. And there are some things that you can never get when you're looking for them. Only you can get as a side benefit for looking for something better. Mm -hmm. And happiness is one of those things. If you're looking for happiness, you will never find it. Um, you can only, you can only get happiness when you're seeking after God. Yep. Yep. And, and there, there's a bunch of like, really some of the, some of the, 
just the really big things that, that we think are the most important thing in our culture, um, you can't find them by looking for them. It's not that they're bad. Yeah. They're, they are good. But, but, but if you're pursuing them, you'll never get them. Absolutely. Excellent point. All right. Well, I'll turn this next okay. over to you. Sounds good. So I think we're picking up with thus we learn. Mm-hmm. Thus we learn from our Bibles and prayer books that to be genuine Christians, we must recognize and admit that we are nothing of ourselves, that we receive all things from God, both in the order of nature and of grace, and further, that we expect all things from him in the order of glory in the age to come. As the Collect for the Fourth Sunday after Trinity puts it, O God, the protector of all that trust in thee, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy. Increase and multiply upon us thy mercy, that thou, being our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal, that we finally lose not the things eternal. Grant this, O Heavenly Father, for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This knowing of God and self, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is in part intellectual, but is also but it also is a knowing by the heart. By this knowledge of God, the whole soul is penetrated, reformed, renewed, and ennobled so that it begins to want to know and to love what God himself commands and loves. To know God is to possess a lively faith, a firm hope, an ardent love, a filial fear and reverence, a total trust in times of trial and testing, an entire submission to his gracious and perfect will. This is the form of knowing taught and encouraged by the common prayer tradition. Such beautiful way with language that I wish I could write <laughs> half as beautiful <laughs> and clear as he does. But, uh, but truly that is the, the common prayer tradition that, that wooed me, you know, that, that really brought yeah. me in uh, to Anglicanism. My, my first experience of it was a, uh, a parish uh, with a great uh, priest. They were using a modified 79 prayer book along with uh, Rwandan liturgy because they were under hmm. the Rwandan church back in the days of Amiya. Amiya is still around, but, but this particular parish, uh, gosh, Amiya had changed names at some point and they joined uh, ACNA uh, as, you know, various geographic dioceses. But a long story short, it, you know, it was coming to the common prayer tradition and experiencing just the liturgical worship. And then I picked up a 28 prayer book because I quickly just looking on the internet back then before the 2019 was even thought of found the debate between the 79 and between the 28. So I picked up a 28 and it was that, that language and that discipline of bringing us to the knowledge of, even if you don't feel like there's no help in you and that you are a miserable offender, it's preaching to you while you're actually praying this prayer Mm -hmm. to God as to the dire situation that you're in and therefore the need for that grace from God. And wow, that's such good news that he fills us up with his grace through his Holy Spirit and enables us to have this change, this lively faith, as uh, Dr. Toon is putting it here. Yeah, my, my journey was, was not dissimilar. I mean, I, I grew up with the 79, as we've talked about before. Um, and it was at the parish, I'm now the rector, of, um, you know, visiting ages and ages and ages ago, yeah. but I first encountered the 28 and I was not aware. I mean, this, this just shows you how ridiculously, I mean, th- looking back, this is a, an absolutely silly perspective, but 
I, I was not aware that the prayer book didn't always have a traditional language, a right one, and a, yeah. and a, a modern oh. language right too. Like I was like, well, how come we don't have that here? You know, <laughs> <laughs> why aren't you using that? And and I was I was frankly I was kind of kind of offended that that they would not you know the parish here would not have adapted something with modern language mm-hmm. um, initially and um, but kind of encouraged by 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 the rector at the time here I, I did start looking at the twenty eight as well and and the, the way it worked for me is I was building up my discipline of doing the daily offices. Yeah. And so I was primarily using right to, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, why don't I, why don't I spend a little bit of time in right one? And then I'll try a little bit of time in the 28. And I think I had gotten hold of the 1662 at that time as well. Yeah. And the thing that eventually really won me over to the classical um, tradition was not the beautiful language. It took, that took me a little bit longer to really appreciate yeah. it, but it was, it was that robust, strongly reformational, strongly Augustinian, strongly Pauline mm-hmm. theology. It had so much more muscle than the, than the, than the 79. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and that, that really sealed the deal for me. You know, you're absolutely right. I think I actually said that it was like the beautiful language. And I, to be honest, it, it, it wasn't that it took me, some time to get over the learning curve of reading and praying um, that language, especially aloud, but it, it was the theology. That's what captured me. And, and specifically one of the reasons why I love, I'm going to give credit to Jesse on coming up with our name because I can't remember coming up with it. And uh, <laughs> but one of the reasons why I loved it is it coming from the confession, the general confession, yeah. uh, from the daily offices, because that prayer over time really converted my soul in terms of understanding you know, just how graceful God is, how gracious you mean mm-hmm. God is, uh, because I was very much like the hypothetical man that uh, C.S. Lewis describes in his essay, Miserable Offenders, talking about liturgical reform. And he talks about you don't feel like you're a miserable offender, but you are. And the more you pray it, the more you start to realize I really am, you know, this great sinner in need of great grace. And just reciting this general confession over time during the daily office, really just, you know, it just locked onto me. It just, it grabbed my heart and helped kind of open my eyes. And especially as you read through the scripture and you start to find, oh, the prayer book is just cutting and pasting, you know, or, or taking these concepts straight from the scripture and just placing it in prayer form, uh, that it captivated, you know, uh, the beauty uh, of worship and the beauty of, of the prayer book language. And I don't know about you, but for me, I found a, a lot of freedom in that um, because in acknowledging and having it drilled into me twice a day, most every day, mm-hmm. being a miserable offender in whom there is no health, um, it, it, it made it so that I, I didn't feel this need to be navel-gazing. Mm-hmm anymore you know it it it, there was a freedom an ability to take off the mask i i don't i don't have an impulse to go to private confession like ever yeah because what's going on here in the general confession it's so honest and true that those accounts with the lord are just really really short yeah yeah um so unless there's something that is just really bothering me i just i just don't 
don't have the impulse to go to go do that. There's there's nothing to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, what will happen to me, like on that same kind of level is going through that prayer, usually nine times out of 10, it'll make me stop and kind of pause on if I really confessed, if I really and truly yeah. let it out. Because reading this confession and reminding myself of the dire state of affairs I'm in without Christ within me makes me realize, you know, no, what, what have I done? You know, how have I sinned this past day? You know, or the evening prayer this past, uh, you know, morning and, and up to leading up to evening, you know, what have I left undone? You know, I mean, just that language, you know, it makes you stop. And it's like, that's right. It's not just what I've done, but what I have left undone. And, yeah. uh, and it's convicting just saying that confession and realizing, hmm, you know, like I need to reflect some more and, and, and truly confess uh, my heart to the Lord. Absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll grab this last paragraph of the section. To know God, I just lost this. To know God is thus a knowing by the whole soul. It is to know God in and through the mind, to have right thoughts about him and to co- contemplate him through his self unveiling and revelation in and through the heart to direct one's affections to him. So as to trust him and his word to delight in him, love him, rejoice in his grace and fear his holy name and through the will in the obedience of faith in daily life. Of course, people are different. Some are more intellectual than others, while some are more effective than others. For some, the mind descends into the heart in knowing God, while for others, the heart rises to contain the mind in knowing God. There is, of course, a place for both types of personalities, and the common prayer tradition is wide enough for all kinds of people who come to the knowledge of God in faith in different ways. What this, what this tradition does not cater for is merely an effective knowing, that is, a religion only of feelings. Instruction in basic Christian doctrine and biblical teaching is fundamental to the Anglican way, and this intellectual understanding ought to be there even in people who are primarily effective or feeling persons. Yeah, that goes back to the, you know, the follow your heart sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, our, our, the prayer book doesn't allow us to do that. It doesn't allow us to, to I mean, it, it does allow us to engage the heart in worship, engage the heart in prayer. Um, you know, Almighty God unto whom, you know, no, all hearts are open and, and or however, I can't believe I'm not remembering the prayer, the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> from, the from whom no secrets are. Yeah, <laughs> yes, thank you, thank yeah, you. Well, it's only because you started it, so that's why I can finish it. <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm not standing in front of the altar, you know. Exactly. You're a creature <laughs> of habit like I am. The Lord be with you. Yeah. If, if you're wearing, you know, you're casting a surplus, you're before the congregation, it's there. And then you know, on a right. random <laughs> podcast phone call like this, it's like, wait, where am I? <laughs> yeah, where, 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 how is this going? I know there's something about the heart in there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but yeah, we, we do have to, we, we have to engage in the lessons in the theology, um, you know, we need a robust diet of the scriptures, of pondering mm-hmm. the scriptures, of 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 the articles and the homilies and 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 and, and weighty matters that are there. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I I kind of chuckled a little bit. I don't know if it was loud enough to, to pick up, but when when Doctor Tune says a religion only of feelings. And, uh, and my Christianity for a long time was that was a religion only of right. feelings being stoked, being, you know, uh, being excited and being, you know, directed towards something. 
and maybe some good came of it. I hope Lord willing some did, but it wasn't authentic. It didn't sink into my, my soul. It didn't uh, truly uh, convert my mind and convert my, myself. And uh, it reminds me of what uh, Bishop Raw talks about in holiness in this chapter that I just finished on the cost, the cost of following Christ. He has the same language in which I highlight it so I can pull it real quickly. It says that uh, he's talking about religious revivals. And I would have thought that back in his time that he would have been quite fine with religious revivals. But he actually says this. They fancy, uh, they fancy it, talking about uh, revivals, and religion consisting in nothing more than so-called coming to Christ and having strong inward feelings of joy and peace. And so when after they find, excuse me, and so when they find after a time there's a cross to be carried, that our hearts are deceitful, and there's a busy devil always near us, they cool down in disgust and they return to their old sins. Why? Because they've never really known what Bible Christianity is. They never learn that we must count the cost. And so it's my last plug for Raul, I promise. But it just really captured <laughs> me that they both, both of these men separated, uh, I guess, by about 70 years, 80 years at this point in, in Dr. Toon's writing, uh, really isolated the same problem in, uh, in some aspects of Christianity, of it being a religion of feelings and not so much a religion of, of reality, a religion of truth, a religion, dare I say, of doctrine that shows that we need Christ. We need to know God and to know him thoroughly, not to, to think that we feel him, not to feel joy and happiness, although there is joy and happiness as fruit of the spirit, but we need to encounter the spirit himself who reveals and points to the son, Jesus Christ, to make sure that we truly know him, that we truly know God, which is Dr. Tune's whole point in this aspect of his essay. And, and that's that's an area where I'm very appreciative of that to be a Christian catechism. Um, yeah, and then I, I think I think when he was talking about the project, you know, being kind of being the uh, really the the main the main mover and shaker behind it, um, the late Dr. Packer, mm-hmm. Dr. J.I. Packer, um, you know, he, he talked about how so much of um, the evangelical world, which which he was including evangelical Anglicanism. Anglicanism within that yeah. has become, you know, it's, it's a mile wide, but an inch deep. Mm-hmm. And that recovery of catechesis being one of the ways to combat that, to move away from being just a religion of feelings, but to actually start, start really engaging the truths and the scriptures, the, the, the real depth of the faith. Um, you know, and, and it, it kind of coupled with a revival of catechesis in, in a lot of, yeah at least kind of the American evangelical world. Um, you know, my kids listen to the new city catechism when we're driving around, which was the one put out by the gospel coalition. Yeah. Um, you know, and all, all that sort of thing. And I even had, uh, my, uh, my old messianic rabbi, he said to me, just, just, uh, Easter Sunday, we, 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 uh, we were together for, for a birthday party. And he said, Hey, uh, you know, he says, he says, Isaac, if, uh, if you guys end up going through that to be a Christian, get me a copy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but he had heard about it. We haven't talked about it, but he had heard about it. Yeah. He wanted a copy. He just knew it was in our world. Um, and as much as, you know, I, I find it a little little too long to use for um, the regular kind of confirmation prep, it's a really good resource. <laughs> yep. Yep. It is a good resource. We just finished it up, you know, using it during Lent um, for our own parish and, 
loved it. We used it also to also point us back to the classic prayer book catechism um, mm-hmm. and, and kind of anchor ourselves on it as well. And that's what I really enjoy about this renewal of catechesis in many parts of, of Anglican uh, Anglicanism is it shows a discipleship of, you know, we're not just a religion of feelings and of, of an ill-defined faith, of a faith meaning I can't prove it, but I just kind of believe it and it makes me happy, you know, and that, that's dangerous. That's, that's a very dangerous yeah. place to be because when your happiness is gone, you know, what, what are you clinging to really? And what we're talking about, right. clinging to the same Christ that, that Paul preaches of Christ crucified, you know, Christ risen from the dead and, the same, here we are still in Eastertide, of celebrating the same Christ who physically rose from the dead and gives us hope and assurance that uh, our sins uh, have been erased, that we can be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, and that we can walk in this new life because as we approach Pentecost, we're going to celebrate that descent of the Holy Spirit upon uh, Christians. And that's a faith based on fact, a faith based upon that Jesus Christ became man, you know, through the Virgin Mary, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was crucified in approximately A.D. 33 by a Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, you know, confessing all these these facts anchored into history. And uh, if these things that we profess did not occur, then we still remain in our sins. And there is not good news, but... There is good news because we know this has happened. We know this has occurred. We go back to the evidence of the scriptures and even have the the blessing of some Roman writers uh, talking about early Christians and talking about early accounts of Jesus Christ. And that's a faith that we anchor ourselves onto. So so that catechesis kind of working our way back around is really crucial mm-hmm. in terms of, of anchoring the faith deep within our bones so that it's not merely the feelings we have. So when grief hits, when circumstances change, and when um, the going gets tough, or, or worse than tough, become downright tragic, we have someone whom we look to. Uh, we know that our Redeemer lives. Amen. That's probably where we're going to need to stop today. Huh? <laughs> that sounds good. Looks like we're going back to just slowly working our way through things. <laughs> this, <laughs> this was, was this was a hefty, yeah, this was a hefty passage. I mean, it was. To say. Just so that's real good. It was. Well, I enjoyed it. This was wonderful. Likewise. Always a great time uh, chatting with you, uh, Ken and Isaac. And I uh, hope that uh, you and your family are doing well. And God bless uh, your parish and, and your work uh, over in San Antonio. And same to y'all as well, definitely. God bless. Well, thank you listeners for joining us, and uh, we hope to uh, to see y'all again sometime soon. Take care and God bless. It was the spirit of our forefathers that built that grand building. I believe that that spirit is with us still and will help us to, to rebuild it one day when we've served and suffered a while, a little longer. Build it again today miserable offenders is a production of the north american anglican learn more at n-o-r-t-h-a-m anglican.com